Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. In episode 414 with Tony Fieldson, we referenced that we were going to have Dason Harker and Taylor Smith on the on a podcast. They're part of the Restoration Table, and now we're doing that podcast, and it will be released after Tony's podcast. And um, this is a podcast about two good men, um, one that's currently in the church and one that's currently stepped away from the church. But both of these men are bridge builders that are trying to bring us together as the same human family. And in theory, um, that's one thing, but to do it in reality is what Dason and Taylor are doing. So our joint hope is that if you have people in your life, if you've um, separated yourself from the church, that the people in the church will have better understanding of your road. If you're in the church and you have people in your life that have left the church, that you will have better tools and principles to to bridge, build, bridge, um, build bridges and um, um, find common ground so we can keep families together and friendships together and community together. I think it's possible, and these men are doing it in real life. So with that, I will turn it over. We'll first have Dason introduce himself and then Taylor. All right. Uh, so yeah, hey, thanks for having us on. Thanks for having me on. Um, so my name is Dason. I uh, am the former believer of, out of the two, I suppose you could call me. I don't know what you want to call me, but that works, I suppose. Um, I guess a little bit of background for me. Uh, I grew up in Southern Alberta, which for some of your listeners, they may or may not know, but it's kind of like the, the Utah of Canada. Um, when uh, the difficulties of polygamy were going on, um, people kind of colonized up into Canada and uh, Southern Alberta was one of those places that LDS members uh, traveled to. So. Taylor and I are both from that area. I'm from Lethbridge, Taylor is as well. Um, so a little bit about my background. My, my dad was always a member, but he never did attend uh, until my parents split up. He ended up marrying a, a lady that was a member of the church. And so they started going back to church again. Um, my mom was always a spiritual lady, a Christian lady. So she taught us prayer and, and to believe and things like that. But nothing... Um, nothing organized, I suppose. Um, so with my dad going back to church uh, and me being a teenager, he got me into going to the steak dances. I think that's how uh, a lot of people end up kind of being introduced to the church in that age group anyway. Um, so a lot of my friends ended up being members of the church. Um, when I was 16, I went to a fireside with a, a few of my LDS friends and you know, had a spiritual experience. Uh, the fireside was about the life of Jesus, just the music, and, you know, felt all of those feelings that were kind of taught about feeling. So uh, my friends saw that and uh, introduced me to the missionaries. I took the lessons, um, was eventually baptized. So joined the church at 16. I went on a mission. Uh, I went to the California Ventura mission from 2000, 2002. Um, I worked really hard out there. I actually really had a positive experience. Uh, I really enjoyed it, enjoyed the people, enjoyed my mission presidents. Actually, my second mission president was from Edmonton, so kind of close to where I'm at now. Um, after coming back, I, I met my wife uh, after an institute dance. So those dances. Those dances get you. 
<laughs> but we were married in the temple. Um, we had several moves uh, just around my schooling, my wife's schooling, my wife getting a job. Um, you know, had several callings, uh, everything from a, a nursery leader, a nursery teacher to, you know, elders quorum president, ward mission leader. I don't know what it was about ward mission leader. I was that, I think, about four times. <laughs> so there might have been something going on there. Um, and currently I'm in a, a town just north of Calgary called Airdrie, uh, Alberta. And I'm a psychologist up here. I have four kids. That's great. What kind of work do you do professionally as a psychologist? Um, I do a little bit of everything. Uh, I do lots of work with teenagers, uh, a bit with trauma, um, and the general ones, uh, anxiety, depression, couples, but a little bit of everything. Thanks. There's such a need for that, Dason. Mm-hmm. Um, so thank you for what you're doing through your professional work and other areas to help people. Mm-hmm. Taylor, let's hear a little bit about your story. All right. So like, like Dason, I grew up in Southern Alberta, Canada. Uh, Lethbridge is my hometown. Uh, as Dason mentioned, that's, uh, I guess, relative to the rest of Canada, that's, it's the most densely populated by members of the church and came from, you know, pioneer heritage. Uh, he talked about the polygamists. Uh, my, that was one of my great, great grandfathers. And, uh, my, my grandma was a convert to the church, but, uh, you know, all my other family lines go back to pioneers. Um, I, you know, grew up in a active home, you know, supportive home. My, my parents, you know, they did divorce when I was a teenager, but, uh, you know, still consider myself that I came from a very, you know, stable, supportive home and <clears throat> went on a mission around the same time as Dason to Denver, Colorado. Um, wasn't too ecstatic about that. When I got my call, I really wanted to go somewhere super exotic. Um, it took me, it took me about my full two years to come to terms with that, to be honest. Um, but it was a, a great, uh, a great experience um, overall. And, and just overall, that was probably my biggest takeaway was just, you know, submitting my will, feeling that, you know, learning to submit my will to Heavenly Father and experiencing the blessings that, that came from that. Um, came home, did not have, really didn't have any plans for the future, to be honest. Uh, didn't school marriage was just kind of like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Hadn't really thought about that far ahead and thought, Oh, I don't know. I guess I'll probably get married in a few years, but, uh, within nine months of being home, I was, uh, married to Mary, uh, married to my wife. Um, we, you know, after I got married, worked in construction for about five years, uh, I was, you know, 26 or 27. I had three kids, kind of came with a fork in the road and decided to go back to school and, you know, still in the construction industry, um, but I uh, went and got a civil engineering degree um, at BYU. That's what, um, you know, led me to where I am now. We, we went down to BYU. I had three kids when I started school. We had two more when we finished. Um, wow. My youngest, my youngest daughter is an American citizen. The rest of my wife and kids are, uh, are Canadians. Um, because once we moved down to BYU for school, anyways, we, um, moved to the Washington DC area back in 2013, got, just got a job offer from the career fair. Um, you know, a lot of people ask when we moved out here, Oh, you're going to go out there for a little adventure, but we, 
I don't know. We just had this feeling when we left that this was where we're supposed to be. We're supposed to settle down. We've been here for eight years now and um, yeah, plan on staying here, here for the long haul. It's been, um, you know, when we lived in Utah, it was like, you know, we lived pretty close to the temple. We moved out here and it was like, we were, you know, worried that we're going to be far away, but we actually live about 20 minutes from the DC temple. So, um, which has been closed for a couple of years for innovations. Um, but anyways, just to kind of tie this into how our, my path crossed with Dason, you know, we went to school and seminary together, hung out a bit, you know, to be honest, uh, I don't know if, I don't know if Dason and I ever actually hung out like one-on-one, like, you know, so we weren't like, you know, best buddies or anything like that, but we just kind of had a common group of uh, LDS friends that were primarily LDS. Um, you know, I remember when he was baptized, we went to one of my memories, favorite memories of him was Moroni's Quest, which was kind of like Trek, but you dress up like Book of Mormon people. Um, we hung out uh, after our missions. We, you know, just go, we're kind of an institute crowd together. And it was actually um, my, he was dating his now wife and who was, you know, friends with my wife, my now wife. And that's kind of what helped, uh, you know, that was part of the, part of us getting together. Um, anyways, um, as I said, I went to school down in the States, lost, and I lost contact with Dason for about 10 years and yeah, just kind of, just kind of lost, lost, lost touch. It's good. Thanks for that introduction. And it's good to have Canadians on the podcast. We have a soft spot for that part of the country in our family. And, um, my father and mother served as mission presidents up there about the time you were serving your full-time missions. And we took our family up there a couple times and just got really loved um, the Calgary area. We had a son as we arrived one holiday, got really sick and was sent to one hospital. And then I rode with him in an ambulance to a, a children's hospital somewhere in Calgary. And it was not a life or death situation, but it was it was a little scary, and we were just very impressed with the Canadian healthcare, um, and just the experience we had there. Both of you are smiling. <laughs> uh, maybe like any healthcare system, there's some choppy waters there, but we just enjoyed um, the experience there and the good people there. And um, we have obviously haven't spent a lot of time there, but loved that part of the world and the good people there. Let's talk about listeners. We're going to talk about Dacent's. Uh, faith crisis, and I've learned to be able to hear these stories and not have it sort of shake me. Um, and at first, these were kind of hard stories to hear a little bit, where someone had lost faith in things that I continue to believe in. But over time, I've learned to just hear these stories and 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 just be okay hearing them, and not feel activated or not feel a need to correct them or not feel to rescue them, but just to sit with them and hear their stories. So, and it's kind of brave of people to share their stories. That's often something that's not easy for people to do. So, Dason, will you share your story? Yeah, and I mean, to preface, I think one of the last things that I would want is that to to have people go through a faith crisis because of anything that I would say. So, uh, I don't think there's much of a disclaimer that's needed because I don't plan on talking about any of those difficult specifics. Um, But yeah, like... I think you know people are more and more becoming familiar with people in their in their life, whether it's family or friends, that go through those uh, faith crisis moments. Um, so for me, you know, I, 
in talking about my history, you know, doing all the things in the church, you know, mission was in leadership there. I had lots of different callings. You know, I, I just want to reiterate there that, you know, I love the church. I didn't have a terrible experience. You know, I didn't have uh, problems with people. You know, I, I really like my time in the church was largely very positive. So that's one thing that I want to put out there um, to make sure that's known as well. Uh, where it more started for me, I think it became more difficult as, uh, you know, you start having kids. And I think that's pretty common saying, you know, going to church before kids is kind of, I toss my clothes on, you know, I, I go and I come back and it's all kind of easy, but add the kids into the mix and it's getting them ready, getting them, you know, in that proper frame. And by the time you get to church, it's like, oh, I'm just exhausted. And, you know, I think for me, it kind of started with, you know, not really feeling recharged from attending is uh, kind of where it started for me. And, you know, I think there's a lot of those common questions in the church that, you know, you hear about, but you kind of put aside, you know, oh, I, I know about that stuff, but it's it's not a really big problem for me. Um, so when it kind of shifted for me was getting to about the end of 2017, um, you know, and speaking with some of my, you know, LDS friends, just saying, hey, like, this is how I'm feeling. What do you think I should do? And a lot of it was, you know, just keep doing all the things, you know, keep reading your scriptures and paying tithing and going to church. And, you know, yeah, that, that makes sense. That's what I know to do. And so in keeping on doing that um, over a period of time, it kind of comes back to that question of, well, you know, at what point do I, how long do I keep going without feeling like it's getting better, I suppose. So again, I feel like at this point, for some people anyway, it's a pretty common experience for some. Um, I ended up reaching out to another friend who, um, oddly enough, was the reason I reached out to him was because he was very positive about LGBTQ marriage and he would post on Facebook. And so I reached out to him and said, hey, like, how do you how do you make all this work? And so he said, you know, there's there's a lot about the church I love because he was an attack, you know, an active attending member. Um, he says, you know, there's a lot about this that I love, but I, I don't believe everything. And so that kind of blew my mind a little bit. So um, just kind of went, you know, digging, researching and, you know, in the end. And again, I kind of want to say that the way that I ended up. Um, it it makes sense to me, but I know that it's not that way for everyone. And Taylor will get to this as well, is how I think both of the knowledge and the research that we've done have led us to different conclusions and that's okay. So I don't wanna make it sound like, well, I did so much more research than anybody else. And that's why I ended up where I'm at. That's not what I wanna put across at all. But for me, the the due to different doctrinal, historical, social issues, um, just the the meaning that I attach to spiritual experiences, biblical scholarship would be kind of the general areas for me that became difficult. So um, there were a couple steps that I took throughout that uh, faith process, that faith crisis, um, which we'll get to in, in a moment as well, but kind of ending up in more of a agnostic atheist or a humanist place. Um, but I mean, very open to being wrong. You know, I think uh, one of those things is 
you know, we, we feel a level of certainty about things in different stages. And, you know, one of the things that I appreciate about chatting with Taylor is that we both kind of come to that place where there's a lot we just don't know and being okay with that. So currently that's where I find myself. Um, but honestly, in the end, I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> Thank you for just sharing that. Um, I appreciate that. And there's a lot of humility um, in just everything you shared. I, I sense that you're just, you know, this was out of a desire to learn and understand and grow and um, not as a way to find a way to leave the church. I don't think that was your end goal to be where you are right now. It's just after, it's just all the things that you came across in your journey led you here. And I, so I don't, I sense humility as a word. And I sense even when your final statement, I'm open to being wrong. And that's a pretty thoughtful statement for somebody who's um, done a lot of research and done a lot of, and I, I think there's a lot of, again, humility in that. And I think it's an example for all of us on how to navigate life. And as we continue to learn and grow. Well, and a piece there too, is that, you know, I, in the beginning of it all, I think I was a lot less uh, humble. <laughs> you know, I think we go through stages there too. So, you know, I'm, if we go back to 2017, we're now in 2021, that's three or four years. So it's, it's definitely a journey and it doesn't happen really fast. And I'm not even at the end, you know, I haven't reached the pinnacle or achieved nirvana or enlightenment or anything like that, but it, it takes a lot of time. And a question I want to come back to, if you don't, if it's not part of the outline is, you know, why, well, I'll just ask the question now and you'll get to it. I have a feeling because I don't want to get sidetracked um, is why don't you want other people like Taylor to follow you? So we'll just put that out there. Um, but it's logical if you've come to a conclusion that you would want other people in the faith to kind of come to where you are. It seems to be human nature, and you seem to be someone who's um, honoring Taylor's journey and not necessarily trying to pull everybody in the church to where you are. Um, and we'll just talk. I know you're going to have some stuff to say about that. So listeners, you'll shoot me. if I don't, We'll come back to that. So Taylor. So just to share my faith journey, I had a pretty traditional LDS upbringing, held, held many traditional Orthodox beliefs and practices throughout my life. And as a young father, I was, was pretty strict about Sabbath, Sabbath observance, media content, you know, attending all three hours of church, even on vacation. Felt a lot of guilt if I didn't read my scriptures or say my prayers every day, or if I fell asleep while doing so. I guess I was also always kind of in missionary mode. Those were, you know, all those things I think were worthy endeavors, but looking back, honestly, I've, you know, I feel, I feel a bit bad. I have some minor regrets because I feel like I, you know, sometimes didn't exercise very good judgment in balancing those, those endeavors with personal relationships. You know, I never did anything grievous or anything like that, but just with where I'm at in my life right now, I'm, I'm slightly bothered by, you know, some of the things I did. But uh, in time, my views and some of my personal religious practices have perhaps evolved. I, I still very much believe what I believe, but I don't see things so black and white as before. 
Some people, they describe it as the gray area, but, but I like to describe it as, to borrow the words of a, a friend, seeing all the colors of the rainbow. Probably a lot of that has to do with my age and just general life experience. And I think things change a lot when you're trying to raise teenagers in the gospel, helping them navigate life as compared to, you know, when you have young, young children. Uh, I also think another major factor was moving out here to the East Coast. The, the city that I live in, <clears throat> Gaithersburg, is, is ranked the number one most diverse city in the U.S., and just from interacting and being more exposed to other people's, you know, cultures and religions, I just feel like I'm more open to all the goodness that I see in others and their cultures and traditions. I probably always saw that goodness um, before, but <clears throat> it was often, you know, I often looked at it from a perspective of <clears throat> that being in relation uh, to the to the church, and I and I still absolutely believe in the restored gospel, the mission of the church. Uh, I believe in the power of covenants, the priesthood, blessings of eternal family and all that. But <clears throat> I guess I don't really view it as being in comparison to others um, and their beliefs, experiences, and, and, and circumstances. And me feeling that my personal beliefs are correct, you know, I don't think needs to come at anyone else's expense. Even now, I'll, I'll still definitely take opportunities to share the gospel when they you know, come up, but I'm, I wouldn't say I'm really out there actively trying to convert others uh, to my faith. And, and it's not because I'm being lackadaisical. It's just, I don't know, I, I see so many blessings and miracles that others are experiencing in their own lives and their own churches. And I, I don't know, I don't feel, I really don't feel right or it's right for me to try and tear them away from that. Um, I think one of my favorite ways to think of it, I guess to summarize is that we often talk about, <clears throat> you know, that we need to be a light to others, but, but in doing so, we probably unintentionally, you know, put ourselves up on a pedestal. And, and so for me, I, I do strive to be a light, but I also seek to be lit. Um, by others, I try to be open to their goodness and their influence and well, and, and know that I have so much to gain and learn from other people. I guess when it comes to the <clears throat> some of the what people call the mysteries of heaven or the nature of God, I, I think like most people, I, I'm assuming so anyway, I go through periods of questioning, wondering, waiting, you know, where my faith is tested and pushed to its limits. and. And sometimes those are even extended periods of time. You know, I think if I, if I really tried, I could probably ex explain away many of the day-to-day -day spiritual promptings and experiences that I have as emotions or, you know, just being psychological or, or that, you know, a lot of those things that happen are just coincidences. But, you know, when I look back throughout my life, I can think of probably four or five or six what I call <clears throat> anchor point experiences, you know, where I cannot deny that they came from any other source other than a personal loving heavenly father. And I, I just have no other explanation. And it's, I think it's these 
experiences that keep my faith grounded during those times when I'm questioning or, or struggling. Um, Regarding some of the more controversial topics in the church, whether church history or their current policies and practices, I'd, I'd say I'm pretty well versed in most of the major issues. I, I don't consider myself to be very scholarly and I certainly haven't you know, done a deep dive or delved as deeply as some, but, but, you know, I feel like I've done enough research and, and to feel like I know enough for me, I think I'm able to keep my faith amongst all these things because I've become pretty comfortable with incomplete information and just saying, I don't know. I mean, there's things that there are some things that bother me and I don't condone them, but my eyes are, I consider my eyes to be pretty wide open and I, and in the end, I just try to look and move forward rather than dwelling things that are outside of my control, whether it's in the past, the present or the future. And I guess in the end, if I had to categorize my beliefs and where I'm at with my faith right now, I guess some, some of the more traditional members of the church, for lack of a better word, might describe some of my views and opinions as nuanced. Um, but on the other hand, some of the more nuanced members would probably consider me as, as being pretty orthodox. So I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't know what label to put on me, I guess, but uh, I guess I feel like that follower or disciple of Christ is, is probably what suits me best. Thank you, Taylor. Um, this is sort of the open vulnerability, safe place, LDS, or people that have stepped away. So I appreciate you both being open and feeling safe to share how you really feel. Um, talk about a Facebook post, Jason, that you did. Yeah, so I, I had mentioned earlier there that it was about the end of 2017 I started my faith crisis. And um, that kind of takes us up through, you know, August of 2018. So through that time, um, I was still attending with my wife. Uh, I briefly, but I feel like it's important for the story is I remember the night that I told my wife that I no longer believed in, in the church as we'd been um, taught or all those foundational things. And I remember that it was immediately she began sobbing and she ran out of the room and she ended up uh, staying up all night, reading her scriptures and praying. And, um, that was a really, it was a really bad night. Um, so I was trying to find that balance and support her and support my family. Uh, so I was going to church and I was taking my kids to activities and, um, you know, again, I, I wasn't having a bad necessarily experience at church, but I felt like I wasn't living my authentic self. So I think, you know, again, bringing it back to the LGBTQ community is I, I'm sure that they can uh, attest to this is you go and you almost put on a mask uh, and you don't really allow anyone in. And that only lasts for so long before it feels unbearable. Um, so for me, and in lots of conversations with my uh, wife, we decided that I would make uh, a post on Facebook. So going back a little bit, I did make my family and close friends aware. I sent them, I wrote a letter. I, geez, I think it was seven or eight pages. <laughs> it felt safer to write a letter than to talk to them uh, face-to-face, although I did that with 
my in-laws who are very amazing, amazing people, but very uh, believing. Um, so my friends and family knew, but I made a, a Facebook post that was very similar to the letter that I had sent out to my uh, family and friends. Uh, and that was August of 2018. And essentially it was just, you know, almost like a coming out post, I suppose, just saying, hey, I, I went through a faith crisis and, you know, I, I believe things a little bit differently now. Um, but it was mostly just to, to try to be more authentic, I suppose. That if I was going to attend church, and I still, I continued to go, uh, even though a lot of my Facebook friends are members of the ward, and <laughs> wow. it, it felt a little bit awkward, but they were really good. So their their response was positive. A lot of my Facebook friends and in real life friends as well, but their response was positive, and I want to acknowledge that. Um, so I did put that out there. The response was generally positive, um, and the reason other than just that trying to be more authentic was uh, I wanted to be understood. I had this burning need to have people know, you know, I, I wasn't this weak, lazy, you know, person that wanted to sin or that I had unresolved sins. And that's why I got here. I just really didn't want people to look at me and think any less of me. So Initially, that Facebook post in August of 2018, that worked. You know, I continued going to church, continued taking my kids to activities and whatnot. Um, but I felt like that understanding wasn't exactly there. And that I just, I really needed people to know that I wasn't crazy, I suppose. And maybe crazy is a bad word. I, I don't want to, you know, say anything about marginalized groups or anything like that. But I didn't want people to feel like I had just terrible reasons for where I was. Um, and, and coming back to what you'd mentioned before, in the beginning stages, I think there was a piece of, well, if I can just let people know, they'll all agree with me. <laughs> you know, they'll see it how I see it. And I'm actually helping them because really that's, I think, you know, the church has such a, a big emphasis on the truth and teaching the truth. And I think that's so ingrained in us that when I felt like I found this different truth that was my truth, and I felt like it was objective truth, well, I got to share that with everybody. So in the beginning, I think it was that. Part of it was understanding. I needed to have people understand me and my reasons. But part of it was, you know, maybe if people knew what I knew that they would agree with me and then I'd get some validation that way. Um, looking back now, I think I would have done a lot of things different, <laughs> but I feel like I had to go through that um, just to externalize what was going on for me because so much of a faith crisis is pain and fear and uncertainty about the future about my afterlife about my marriage just so much fear um so you know I, I ended up writing a blog that I started in February of 2019 um just kind of chronicling my experience um looking back at it now I used language that was very certain 
and I wish I could go and take some of that back and alter how I worded things. I, I tried very carefully to be, you know, relatively neutral and respectful in all those things. But, you know, there were things that I would go back and do different now. Um, and I think that's kind of where tailored back to And listeners, we may have cut out a little bit on the end of Dason's segment just with the Zoom stuff, but I think he kind of finished up and turned it over to Taylor. Is that right? All yeah. right, Taylor, you're up. Thank you, Dason, for just – I I think it's great to go public. I mean, I think it's great for people to know where you are. I don't think that's a sign of – you know, I, I, I think using a Facebook post is a good way and a blog just to help people know where you are, and they can just decide to – engage in that contact or not, but I think it creates a more of a feeling of belonging in your family and your friend group to just not have to put on this um, mask, I think is a good term, um, of trying to be something everybody thinks you are when you're actually at a different place. And so I think, you know, I think it's, instead of just going on with this mask, I think that's emotionally, and you're a therapist, you would know that that's emotionally hard, but it's also hard to go through a faith transition. I have gone through a mini faith crisis. I'm still very much of a believing member of the church, but that was incredibly painful for me. Um, and so I would assume that you felt more pain. <laughs> and sometimes the things we say to people like you in the process um, just add to the pain. And pain leads to anger, and anger leads to lashing out. And I've sort of learned some of that. Um, and I admire kind of, I still come back to the word humility as you just talk about um, even some of the things you wish you'd done a little different. So I sense your good heart and your desire to not use your personal story to divide people, but just help people understand where you are so you can live an authentic life. And we can sort of meet you where you are and support you where you are. Are you okay with what I said? Is that okay? Yeah, that sounds perfect. Okay, Taylor. So I think Taylor's now suddenly aware his friend Dason is in a different place. Yeah, so as I said previously, I hadn't had any contact with Dason in about 10 years. I think we, I don't know, became Facebook friends. I don't know, who knows, a couple years before that. Just kind of scrolling my wall one day and, oh, oh, there's Dason. What? Oh, wow. And, you know, I guess for me, I kind of, I guess I kind of felt bad that it, it took a his faith crisis and his public post to kind of, you know, initiate me reconnecting with him. As a matter of fact, I reached out in a spirit of support, wasn't trying to reconvert him or anything like that. Um, led to some, you know, personal conversations. We, you know, just would chat on the phone or whatever, uh, stuff like that. Um, as I said, Dason had this blog going on and I guess I thought, Oh, well, he, he'd gone. I don't know. I think there was probably like 15 posts. I think the last few were guest posts and I thought, Oh, well, it would be, it would be good to offer kind of a believers perspective on things and not once again, not as a manner of, you know, defending, but just, you know, I thought, I thought, well, you know, I'm a pretty level headed guy. I'm a pretty reasonable guy. And I mean, I mean, all these explanations that I have are, 
obviously going to make sense to everyone else too. Right. Um, and you know, anyway, so I, I thought, Hey, well, I've, I actually had this personal essay that I had been writing, not that I was going to ever share it with anyone. I just, just to get my own thoughts out on paper and things like that. And I thought, Oh, well, maybe I could tweak this a bit and make it into a blog post. Um, however, I told Dason, I said, you know, I, given the sensitive nature of, of, you know, personal relationships and faith crisis and all those things, I said, you know, I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, help you not collaborate on it, but just, you know, give me some feedback and see what we can do. Once again, I, I thought that it was a pretty, pretty level-headed approach to things. Um, well, anyways, um, got some feedback from Dason and not that, not that he, you know, lashed out or got angry or anything like that, but it kind of confirmed kind of confirmed my fears of why I went to Dason in the first place to get the feedback because obviously putting this out in the public sphere out on Facebook all those things I I was cautious um and so I I put it out there and yeah when it came back I was a little bit I don't know surprised is probably a strong word but yeah because once again I thought all these explanations make pretty good sense And, and a lot honestly a lot of my explanations were I don't know and I'm okay with that and I mean, who, who wouldn't be okay with just accepting that they don't, they don't know. Right. Um, and I think this kind of ties back to what Dason was saying earlier about, you know, at that point in time, he had a um, strong feeling of, or desire for certainty. Um, but anyways, and, and, you know, just for, as an example, just to get kind of a specific example of, of this is one analogy or, or something that I've, shared you know just in personal conversations or whether in a lesson or something like that at church it was one of my favorite stories is the is when the the nephites in the book of mormon are waiting for for the sign of the savior's birth they're waiting for him to come and they, and you know you you read that and you see the the grueling experience it is for them and you know they're just hanging on for dear life and then nephi goes and he prays and, and the lord says okay i'm coming tomorrow and so i there was this there was this joke when i was a kid that we would tell about um you know there's three people stranded on an island and the the first you know the the island is 10 miles from shore and they've got to get back to shore so the first person starts swimming makes it about a mile and says oh man i can't i'm too tired i can't make it i'm gonna turn back the second person swims to make it you know little over four miles and says, oh, I'm too tired. I'm going to turn back. And then the, the last person swims, makes it, you know, nine and a half miles and says, well, I'm too tired. I'm going to turn back. And so um, I kind of paralleled that with like, you know, what if that person would have just swam that last half a mile, they would have, they would have made it. And, you know, I, I think, think of the people at the time of the savior's coming of his birth. And it was like, Hey, if you just held on for one more day, you would have made it. And, and, and I, and I, I came at that, my intent, my heart, as I shared, that was, you know, that there's a message of just keep going, just hold on, things will work out. Um, and, but it was really eye-opening to me once again, not in a, I'm not, not in a negative way, but it was very eye-opening to me to, to Dason's response. You know, it was kind of like, well, so what, are they just quitters? And uh, yeah, it really opened my, and, and I mean, I just give that as one example, but it kind of, 
I don't know. It kind of opened my eyes to be like, hey, you know those, all those, you know, common sense answers that you have, Taylor? Well, you know, they, they might work for you, but doesn't mean that they work for everyone else. And that, you know, it's, uh, whether it's just due to different personalities, perceptions, or whether it's due to, you know, where you're at in your own journey, you know, whatever the circumstances may be, it just really opened my eyes that sometimes when we feel like we're helping, we we're, we might actually be hurting. And, and, you know, and I, I guess it just really opened my eyes. So I said, it confirmed kind of my fears of, of posting. And, and in the end, I'm, I'm sure I could have went back and polished the language and all of the things. And but at the end of the day, I just felt like, you know what, I just, I just, I just felt like it was, best to not to, to not put my blog post out there because I didn't I didn't I didn't want to cause any more harm or hurt to anyone out there because once again my intention was I want to help I want to even if I don't quote unquote reconvert you I want to I you know I'm thinking hey I can give you this framework that could work but because so I had good intentions but it really just opened my eyes that that sometimes when we think we're helping we we, we might not be thank you um, any comments, Jason, before we go on to the next segment, lessons learned and reflections? Yeah, so I find it really interesting how, you know, our, our perspectives are are so different. And, you know, Taylor and I have kind of bounced this off each other before, but, you know, his perspective of I'm trying to help, I'm trying to help him understand, I'm trying to give these analogies. And I would assume it's, you know, Jesus taught by analogies, like he taught by these metaphors and so this is going to be a great way to get these things across and I think because I was still kind of in the middle of everything um, that you know I was I was focused on the at least the perceived flaws and what he had to say um, I was very sensitive to you know everything that he had to say um, so when he talked about that you know if, if they just would a half a mile more um, See, in Canada, we use kilometers, so I'm trying to use uh, some Americanese right now. But uh, if they had just gone a half a mile more, they would have been fine. And so for me, it's like, well, what you're saying is, is that I should have held on. I'm wrong. And I was weak. And so you take all of those things and you look at the undertone of what's said. And I don't think Taylor was meaning that whatsoever, um, that he wasn't saying that I was weak or, or should have done more or anything else. Um, it was just, this is how he makes it work. And now I can look back and say, okay, yeah, I understand that. But in the moment it was, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to share with him all the things that I know, and, you know, it, not an overly helpful approach. Um, great segment. Let's, um, let's move on to our last segment listeners. It's titled reflections, lesson learned. And the first part of this section is phases. So we'll turn that over to Dason. Yeah, so I, in, in writing my blog, I did one article on how I tied going through a faith crisis and faith transition to the stages of grief. So for me, and this is my experience, I'm not trying to say that this is, you know, objective truth or anything, but for me, I felt you know, all of those stages of grief, because I felt like I lost so much in going through that faith transition. Um, you know, anger is the one that 
typically comes up and that I think members of the church notice when people that leave the church, they go through this hangry phase and almost universally, I think everyone does. But I think the reason why everyone goes through that, it's because they're in pain. You know, we're not, we're, we're not trying to hurt anyone else but we're trying to get this understanding, but we're doing it in a way that's reactive to everything. It's like a nerve that's exposed and any breeze of air sets it on fire. So in the beginning stages of that faith crisis, faith transition, we're very sensitive. And that anger is that piece that comes out the most. Um, I think another point to bring up too is what I had mentioned before is that early on in that process it was I'm going to share the quote unquote truth you know and Taylor and I will chat a little bit about how we're we're both more comfortable with being uncertain and the unknown um, but you know being now on the outside trying to convert was kind of one of those phases where you know I want to share this perspective but this is this is the truth, you know, my perspective is the right one. Uh, and, and that's, you know, that's not fair. Um, but it takes a lot of just time really to get to that place where, you know, I, I don't want that. I don't need that. I just want, I want to have conversations like this. I want to be able to understand and have people understand me. And, you know, I want to respect everyone's place, no matter where they are. I want to respect you and Taylor for being part of the church because you have your reasons for your belief. And I respect those reasons. Um, I can validate that I, I understand why you believe. And, you know, I can't say, oh, I, um, I know exactly how things were for you because I used to be there too. Our experiences are so different, but I think being, you know, a little bit further on in that uh, process, just saying, you know, I, I 100% validate that the church brings you so much positive. You know, there's so much good in the church, and I agree that there is, and that it's a net positive in your life. So I, I want to respect that, and that's one of my main just reminders to myself is that, you know, everyone gets to choose their own path, and if I want people to respect mine, I have to respect theirs as well. Um, that's a really good segment, Taylor. I mean, I'd, I'm tempted listeners just to keep to follow up on all these segments. We'll have too long of a podcast, so I'm just going to turn it right back to Taylor. I don't want anything, anyone to think that I just have my head in the sand. You know, when it comes to difficult topics or you know controversial issues with the church and things like that. I mean, I have I have questions. I have concerns. I have you know, there's there's certain things that bug me. There's I mean, I've I had a time one Sunday when I had to restrain myself from getting up and walking out of <laughs> out of the meeting. You know, I mean, I I have those feelings too. Um, but um, so I, I guess what I'm saying is, I the, those a lot of those questions and concerns are valid, and I I truly think they are. I as I said, I reconcile them differently. I come to terms with them differently. Uh, I'm able to you know look at them from a different paradigm or perspective. And that's what allows me, but it's not that, it's not that I'm, you know, ignorant of the issues. It's not that I'm, 
avoiding them or that I haven't, you know, thought as deeply about them. Um, and so I think, uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I think just learning to, you know, even if we don't, I, I guess, I guess a lot of times I think we, we boil things down to a, you know, a disagreement. And for me, I'm like, no, it's just a different perspective. Um, on, on a lot, I, I think at its core, if we, I think if we really strip away a lot of the, I don't know, the fluff that we see at the surface, I think at a core, a lot of these things are really just a matter of, of uh, perspectives, different perspective. We, we reconcile them differently. We, you know, and that's why, you, you know, I could, I could talk to a blue in the face. And at the end of the day, all my quote unquote common sense explanations just weren't going to work because we're just coming from a different perspective. Talk on this next segment um, about being comfortable with being uncomfortable, uncertainty, and paradox. Um, so I think for me, I mean, there's kind of two aspects to that. I guess the paradox, I mean, that comes down to more beliefs, I guess. Uh, like you said, we can find we can find all sorts of contradictions and things like that, you know, whether it's church, you know, doctrinal statements or or whatever it is. Um, and I think, like I said, for me, I think it's just, as I said before, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, I, I've, I've learned to be able to sit with those and I don't feel necessary and need to reconcile them. And that, that reconciliation is often achieved through no reconciliation and just accepting it, it as it is. Um, but then the other part of that, the part of being uncomfortable I think is with, when it comes to those, you know, personal conversations or relationships, you know, I think that, you know, sometimes, you know, sometimes as humans, we were conditioned to avoid conflict or perceived conflict at all costs. And, and I think it's, it's very, for me, very healthy to be able to, you know, so, sometimes when we have something that might, agitate us you know it's it's kind of a fight or flight uh is our human nature response but i think you know sometimes it's you know just sitting with that and sometimes that sometimes that means doing nothing and just internalizing it and and pondering it and reconciling it within your within your own heart and in your own mind and sometimes that's reconciliation a spirit of reconciliation with others and you know i think I think the biggest thing as we're, you know, as we're sharing our story, I hope that things don't come across too, uh, you know, too, too rosy. Um, you know, I think it, I think we always can't, you know, we always had a mutual respect, a baseline respect for each other, but yeah, like I said, there was times where, you know, we both said things that we look back, wish we didn't say we, you know, we, uh, you know, didn't, I'm at the end of the day, we're not, I don't feel like we're here to like put up our story as in any type of example or, you know, shining example of how, you're, no, we're, we're honestly just here telling our story because, you know, everyone there, there's just so many different dynamics at play. You know, we can talk about personal relationships. We can talk about individual, uh, you know, relational dynamics. I mean that, you know, we're all, we're all on our own individual journey and we're all going to deal with these things in different ways. And there's not a, there's not a one size fits all perfect, perfect uh, answer. And we just kind of have to work, 
work through those things. And it's, once again, it's, it's okay to be uncomfortable, but as you, you know, as you express those things and work through those things, whether once again, through in your own mind or through discussions with others, uh, I feel like you're going to come out stronger. Your relationship is going to come out stronger on the other end. And I think for Dason and I, as I said, Dason and I, we were, I mean, we were friends, but we, I would say, honestly, I don't think we had a, a, a deep friendship. We were kind of just in a common group and got along or we were dating our future wives at the same time. And then, but honestly, this experience, um, you know, it's, it's actually strengthened our friendship. I feel like, I feel like it's gotten us past the surface and, you know, it's just kind of ironic considering I hadn't, this is the guy that I hadn't even wasn't that close with and hadn't talked to in 10 years. And, and now through this whole experience, I, I feel like when I eventually am able to go back to Canada and when, when, uh, COVID stuff ends that, that I, I really look forward to being able to hang out with him again. That's cool. You know, I believe God exists. And I think one of the things that makes God happy is when we find a way to grow our friendships, even in diversity. And that to me is, you know, what's so needed in the world. And this isn't obviously a story of two people that have reconciled their belief to become friends. It's a story of people that are in different places with their belief that have become better friends because of the principles you're sharing with our listeners. And that, to me, makes me happy. Um, and as a, plat, a, a practical example, is reverse, div, reduced, div, 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 <laughs> you know what that word means, listeners. I'll just go on, but try um, Dason, back to you. I don't know if you want to talk about that or lead in this next segment of coming to a place of understanding and overcoming misconceptions. Yeah, so one of the things that was really sticking out to me as Taylor was talking there is that I feel like sometimes we we do like to label people. We like to uh, characterize them. You know, we use these tropes. You know, I kind of see it as uh, characters in a play. So the bad guy has always got the greased mustache that he's twirling and, you know, the black clothes and hanging out in the shadows and the good guy is dressed in white and he's super noble and he epitomizes everything that's good. And I think if we can kind of get away from those behind those tropes is a real person, you know, my, my journey is my own. Um, I've, landed in a place that's much different than Taylor has going through something somewhat similar. Um, but, you know, I don't see myself as the hero. I don't see myself as the villain. And I don't think Taylor sees himself or me as any of those things. So I think as we move away from those ideas of, oh, they left the church, they're back. Or from the outside, you know, oh, they're still in the church. That's bad. You know, I think it's more of we're all just trying to make this work the best that we can. We're all trying to make life make sense. Um, you know, coming back to the idea of um, coming to a place of understanding and just overcoming misperceptions. I think one thing that I feel like is really important to realize is that, again, going back to those stages of grief, people that leave the church often, they do come across as angry. And I guarantee that pretty well every member of the church has has had that experience with someone who's left who's angry um 
I think as time goes on, we become less angry. That pain and that hurt, it, it eases. And I think we become more quiet, but I, I don't think that's as apparent. So I think members of the church are very, they see when we're upset, but then when we quiet down and we settle down a little bit, I don't think that's as, as noticeable. So I'm trying to get just to that quiet place where, you know, having those chats with Taylor, um, trying to be open to all perspectives and just coming from that more uncertain place, I suppose. Um, that's something that stands out for me. Taylor, any thoughts from you? Um, not so much as I, because I mean, I think I've honestly already kind of covered what I would want to say to that in, in my other point. So I'm good. Um, talk about we're all searching for truth all on our own path or anything I've missed before we get to that section. Um, yeah, I mean, really just kind of all the principles we kind of covered so far is like, yeah, just that re having that respect for everyone's path. Like I said, for me, the big eye opener, uh, or the big, I guess, transition for me was, you know, moving out here and, you know, seeing so much goodness. Once again, not that I thought other people were bad, but it's just, I don't know, witnessing, witnessing so much, so much good in the world and, and from so many different walks of life and so many different faith traditions. And then, yeah, even with those who are, or have no faith or have left the faith or wherever they are. I mean, I, I think for me, I'm, I would never, well, I shouldn't say, I, I wouldn't advocate for someone to leave the church um, because of these things. However, I've come to a point where I can say that I could respect their choice. I guess knowing the, I, I guess for me with Dason, for example, is I know the journey that he, I've, we've kind of been there through it all. We've seen the ups and downs. We've seen all those things. And so, yeah, I can just as much as I want him to respect that I'm on my own path and that I don't have my head in the sand. I, I respect him and don't think that he's, you know, lazy, evil sinner or, you know, whatever else, you know, some of those kind of stereotypes that, and, you know, kind of traditional things that we've, you know, and I guess in the past that was, that was kind of the, I feel like some of the common misconceptions and, and I shouldn't say even in the past, I mean, even, even today, I think sometimes we can fall into those traps. Talk about this, Taylor. I think this is something you were going to talk about. Maybe you still are, but I want to make sure you mention is just Elder Ballard's um, recommendation for Latter-day Saints on how to treat people that are where Dason is. From, uh, I believe it was a forum or, I don't know, some, something out of BYU. I can't remember what it was, honestly. But I just really resonated with me. Um, and he, the, basically, it was a Q&A thing. And someone said, if I have family or friends who are less active, how far do I go in my attempts to bring them back? And Elder Ballard said, don't, or please don't preach to them. Your family member or friend already knows the church's teachings. They don't need another lecture. What they need, what we all need is love and understanding, not judging. Share your, your positive experiences of living the gospel. The most powerful thing you can do is share your spiritual experiences with family and friends in a non-preachy way. 
also be genuinely interested in their lives, their successes and challenges. Always be warm, gentle, loving, and kind. Um, you know, because for me, that's something I've always been very passionate about, that kind of concept, but it's it's one of the things that isn't always explicitly said so explicitly from, you know, leaders of a church or others. Uh, I, and I believe that's the underlying message, but sometimes the sometimes it needs to be made more clear. And for me, when Elder Ballard said that, like plain and simple, it, it really it really resonated with me, you know, because I think of like, um, you know, one of my favorite scriptures, you know, in the Book of Mormon, and I'm, I'm not much of a scriptorian, so I can't even remember the reference, but uh, basically it, it, it talks about, you know, continue to minister to them for you know not when they will return. And I, you know, that was one of those scriptures that I, I always loved and it, it you know, because it's this idea of, of patience and long suffering and all that stuff. But then, you know, one day I was like, you know, I, I, I love that. But from another perspective, it's still kind of this condition of, well, eventually, if eventually they'll return, if I, you know, and so I think for me, it's, it's all about just being authentic. Um, you know, as, as a, as a, in a leadership position, um, something that I counseled uh, some members of my quorum was that, you know, I, I asked them a kind of a rhetorical question. What, what if you got a ministry assignment and you sat down on the first day, the first visit, and, they, and the person sat across from you and said, I will never come back to the church. That's an absolute certainty. Um, and you knew that, and you absolutely knew that was true. I said, would you, you know, would you still continue to minister to them? Like not, not I, you know, oh, maybe they're bluffing or maybe I can, you know, eventually wear them down with my love and patience. But no, if you absolutely knew that, would you still minister to them in the same manner? And, and I, I mean, my hope, and I'm not, I'm not perfect at it by any means, but my, my hope for myself anyway, is that I can have uh, authentic, you know, love and concern for others, that it's not conditional. It's not based on, well, eventually they'll come back or, you know, see the light or anything like that. And so once again, not something that I uh, always practice perfectly, but it is a, one of the, I guess, axioms of my life that I strive to, I strive to live by. And, um, and I think, you know, I, I think in the end, it's, um, I don't know, I think in the end, I think relationship relationships are more important than being right. And I think, uh, you know, I, I guess, as far as I guess my, my kind of final thoughts, I just wanted to share a quick experience. Is Yeah, I, I remember as Dason was going through his, that portion of his faith journey where he, you know, he was, he was pretty angry about things. And he had reached out to me and expressed some frustrations and things like that. And I, and I, you know, and this is when we were going through that, that sticky, sticky phase too, with, we were kind of having some disagreements. We were, we know we were being tactful, but there was definitely some like, I don't know. I'm not going to say passive aggressive. It wasn't because it wasn't passive aggressive, but it was, you know, there was some subtlety there and uh, you know, so things were a little touchy, but I, I remember I was just, he was expressing some difficulties that he's going through with, in, with some personal relationships in his life because of this, that was being impacted and things like that. And I remember I was out, I was out for a run and like, I remember just like, I don't know, I got, I got a little choked up and uh, I just like, all I, I don't know. I just, I just felt his pain. Like 
I just was mourning with him for what he was feeling. I didn't, I didn't care about, you know, any doctrinal discussions. I didn't care about whether he was going to eventually come back to the church or not. I just, I don't know. I just felt genuine love and concern for him. And like, I just, I don't know, my heart ached for him. And, uh, that's cool. I don't know that for me, I, I guess for me, it's like, yeah, just not feeling any conditions, uh, or strings attached to relationships. And I don't know, for me that just, I think that was, you know, I just had a strength in our friendship. And I think that was kind of a, a key experience for me. Jason, let's turn it back to you for, um, more thoughts and your closing thoughts. Yeah. So, and Taylor and I chatting about kind of some of the things that we were feeling comfortable talking about during the, the podcast here tonight. Um, you know, some of the concerns that I had was, you know, I was about to go camping with my believing family and, you know, that was one of the, one of the first and few times that we would all be together and just not really knowing what to expect, how there were, people would react and whatnot. And looking back on it now, um, you know, I think a lot of that fear of rejection. So going back to the idea that relationships are more important than being right. Um, you know, a lot of that fear of rejection from them was coming from within myself. Um, you know, my family were honest, great. And I didn't have a really terrible experience with them. Um, it was more my own worries about what might happen. So I think I kind of built up, um, you know, what's that worst case scenario that might happen? And yep, that's going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, I, I realize now that, you know, maybe I just need to allow that worry to affect me less. Um, you know, I think a lot of members of the church and a lot of those that leave as well, we just, we don't know exactly what to do with each other. Um, we're not sure. And that's okay. But I think it ends up looking like, well, we just won't talk about it. We're just going to leave that alone and we'll talk about everything else except. Um, and I think for me, I had this expectation of, I just want somebody to check in. I just want somebody to, you know, hey, how are you doing? This must be really hard. Um, are you okay? Is there anything I can do? Uh, I think that was one of the, the self-imposed expectations I put on my loved ones that maybe it wasn't realistic. Maybe it wasn't fair. Um, and so because I didn't receive exactly what I wanted when I wanted it, I, I feel like in some ways I pushed people away. And again, looking back on that now, I wish that I could do things a little bit different. Um, I don't feel like I was terrible by any means, but, you know, I, I definitely could have finessed things a little bit better. Um, but I think that hope was, you know, I just want people to shoot me a text and be like, hey, I'm thinking about you. And a lot of what Taylor said is kind of along those lines. Um, hey, you're doing okay? This must be really hard for you. Is there anything I can do? Do you want to talk? Um, and I know talking about difficult things is really hard, but, you know, if you need to set boundaries on that discussion, 100% do that. Um, but I think having conversations like that of, are you okay? Can I do anything? Um, do you need anything from me? Know that I'm around. Um, 
those are the types of things that I think really go far to keep those relationships going from both sides. You know, it's not like because things have changed for me that now I need all this attention. Everybody needs to focus on me and they need to give me what I need. You know, I need to realize that um, my family have needs and expectations as well. And, you know, I need to be mindful of where they're at too. So I think in the end, going through this whole process, three, four years late down the road, um, you know, relationships are way important, you know, more important than anything else. So I think coming back to that idea of, you know, we're not on, we're, we're not even on different sides. We just, we, we have different perspectives and that's okay. We're not even on different sides. I love that. You just have different perspectives. This has been a great podcast. I'll just offer some thoughts and then turn it back to either of you if you have any thoughts. I used to, listeners, I used to remember reading the scripture that I, my responsibility to warn my neighbor. And um, maybe 10 years ago, I would have looked at Dason and said, well, I have a responsibility to bear testimony and warn him. And I've kind of changed that word to just love my neighbor. And it's been freeing that I don't see my non-member neighbors or people that have stepped away as projects or need of rescue. And I just see them as equal humans that are worthy of my love where they are right now. I call it non-agenda love. These two men have talked about it. And I found when I practice non-agenda love um, that that is the kind of love that heals us and brings us together. This is a practical example of what I call non-agenda love. It's love your neighbor. And I found it even though I don't do it with an agenda, that the people in my life that have stepped away from the church or aren't in the church often, because they feel that from me, feel safe opening up to me. And some some path is to join the church. Um, but often that becomes um, because we've just loved people, not with an agenda or a quota or a goal. A lot of us come out of that missionary mode where that's a big focus, but I think we can just love people where they are because they, I, the famous tweet that I reference on this podcast is people deserve to be loved, not because our love will bring them back. We just, they deserve to be loved. So Dason deserves to be loved and Taylor is doing that and vice versa. And it takes a lot of grace is the word I can use to describe Dason and his maturity to not want to pull everybody in his direction. It's a really natural thing. And, uh, you know, there are people that have left the church that want everybody else to leave with them because it didn't work for them or they had a painful experience. And I've learned to hear those stories, but I invite people that have left to sort of use Dason if possible. Dason may not like this because he doesn't want to be used as a as a weapon in any way, but I, I do think the principles Dason sharing helps bring us together. They're stone catchers and stone throwers as other um, Renlin talks about, and neither of these men are stone throwers right now. They could be. They're on um, different places when it comes to the church, but they're stone catchers. And to me, the, the, the fruit of that is what they just talked about. They're better friends. I tweeted out on social, on Twitter the other day, and I, the idea that I think our heavenly parents are more interested in getting along than having the same uniform beliefs. And I just I think when they set up this world with all these different religions, they knew that most people would never have a chance to be exposed to Latter-day Saint faith. So I have to think that the values of each faith are part of 
mortality, benevolence, compassion, charity, love, and those seem to be the values that are in every faith and that are part of our mortal experience. And yes, some will join our faith and some will step away our faith, but I think our job is just to do what these men are doing. I had an interesting experience I've never shared on the podcast. You know, in the last 10 years, I've had the chance to um, invite and baptize about three or four people um, in the last five years, six years, the first time since my own mission. But there was one young man that we taught the gospel to, and he did everything we asked. Um, Read the Book of Mormon, came to church, obeyed the commandments, and at the end of that process, he looked me in the eye, and he just said, I think my path is to stay Catholic. And as a, as a missionary, I would have thought he just needs to do more. And I'll give him more of a list to eventually get a testimony of the church. But at that point, I just had a spiritual impression to honor his personal revelation. And um, I recently saw him. He's just a great young man. And I didn't look at him as in need of rescue. or um, I just recognized that there was probably more going on there than I personally understood. And um, I hope that's okay, listeners that are believing listeners. We sometimes think everybody's path is our church. And um, I have to think at times we need to leave all that at our Heavenly Father's feet and His perfect understanding and honor people where they are. Um, And I just, you know, felt really pretty strongly that He was authentic in His personal revelation and I should instead of, and I should honor that. I love perfect love casteth out fear. I have, you know, I'm sure Taylor can speak to this. I, like Taylor, probably had fear, and Dason did too, of people that left the church. And that was a group I was nervous about and didn't want to connect with and sort of saw as a need of rescue. And I don't have much fear of, you know, Dace, people like Dason in my life. In fact, my life is better with people like Dason in my life. Um especially when you get to a point where you're honoring my journey and supportive of everybody's journey. I think that takes a lot of maturity and a lot of grace. And I hope you're okay with this, Dason. To me, an under, a practical application of the gospel of Jesus Christ um, and the things that Christ taught. So just some thoughts, listeners. I hope those are okay. I wrote down shaming comments in the margin here as I was hearing these. Is sometimes we say really shaming comments, and I'm sure Dason's heard some of these directly or indirectly, like, You've turned your back on your ancestors or, you know, I mean, I just, you know, and I've made those comments, but I think we can just recognize, we can just support people and not, and leave all judging aside and help people feel our love. And and sometimes if their path is to step away, thank them for all the years they've given to the church. You know, Dason, you have <laughs> served a mission, paid tithing, served in leadership callings. There's a lot of people's lives in the church and in the world that are better because of you and continue to be that way with the work you're doing. And so if I could do it all again, I'd, you know, I think I'd thank you if I knew you as you felt your path was to, um, to separate yourself from the church for all you've done for the church. Um, we often don't do that, and I think there'll be nothing lost to do that. And I think it would maybe heal some of the pain you're feeling is to have an outreach from members of the church thanking you for all you did Um, because you spent a couple decades, you know, and that's painful to feel your path is now different. So uh, let's turn it to Taylor and then Dason for any final comments. Um, I guess there's one thing I just thought about because you mentioned that sometimes 
it you might have fear about you know people that have left the church and things like that and, and honestly for me I've actually always had a desire to connect with those people to have those kind of conversations and and for me the the fear I guess was more so how to how to break the ice cool and uh and I think for me because I've, I've had other friends who've you know had similar experiences to Dason and I've 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 wanted to have those kind of conversations and just haven't really found the opportunity and and I so I guess I'm just grateful for for Dason that he was willing to you know be vulnerable enough to to let me into that space and just really want to thank you Richard for the you know the opportunity uh that I know that we were able to to come and I've listened to I, I'm not an avid listener of your podcast but I've listened to there's too to many enough. to listen to Taylor so yeah <laughs> but I've listened to it I've listened to enough and just really appreciate the the work that you're doing and 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 truly is an honor to to have this opportunity thanks Taylor Dason get the final word my our friend <laughs> perfect um I think you know, similar to Taylor and in, in thinking about how to kind of finish up the story or tonight is that, you know, my, my journey, my story, my experience in the church isn't the same as everybody else. You know, I, you know, mine isn't necessarily the, the path that's, you know, the path to follow or the one that's the right way or anything like that. Um, but this is just one way that I've found has led me to, feel more at peace with where I'm at now you know I I I can you know after COVID's done I I want to be able to go to church and I want to be able to you know attend on occasion and I absolutely know that I won't go in as I was in the past where you know I'd hear messages I didn't agree with and I'd become really angry and you know I'd have all those emotions boil up but I I don't really get that too much anymore um I think that's what, you know, talking about Taylor being kind of nervous about how to bring things up, you know, that probably contributes to people keeping their distance, you know, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to stir the pot with that one. I'm just going to leave that where it is. Um, But one thing that I feel like would be really important would be that, you know, for, for the people listening, again, I've talked about how most people know somebody that stepped away and whether that was as a teenager, whether that was you know, more in their thirties or whether that was later in life, whenever it was, or whatever the reason, those people often, they, even if it's not factual, even if it's not going on, they feel separate. They feel alone, isolated, um, that people have withdrawn a lot of the time. So my, my hope is that as you're listening to this and as you hear this and you're probably thinking about those loved ones in your life who've stepped away, think about maybe reaching out, you know, shoot them a text, give them a phone call, um, whatever it is that you do and just say, Hey, like, sorry, I haven't been around, you know, Taylor after 10 years, he reached out to me and it turned out really well. And I think we're closer friends than we ever were. So that's a possibility of, Hey, I was thinking about you. I want you to know I'm I'm around. I love you. You know, I, I want the best for you and see where it goes. But just let them know that you're there. So that would be, I guess, one thing to that I would hope would come of this anyway. It's a great hope. 
Well, listeners, this is, we're going to sign off. Dason Harker, D-A-S-O-N, is how he spells his name from Southern Alberta, Canada, where he's, we're recording this in May. He's got like 23 hours of sunlight up there. Uh, maybe not quite that much, but, um, and Taylor Smith in Washington, D.C., and Richard Oster here in Salt Lake City. And thank you, good men, for being on the podcast. And thanks our listeners for listening. Mm-hmm.